The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with an old friend, actually one of the first people who was on my show back in 2007, Jeff Livingston. Jeff, welcome back, man. It's been a while. Hey, Mark. How are you? It's great to see you and talk yeah. to you, of course. We're we're, uh, we're not going to wait every 17 years to, to do a show, honestly. <laughs> For sure. But we have to have Mark Moyd on next time. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have coffee with him next week. Uh, That's awesome. Jeff is a, uh, one of the best known people in everything web two out there. And he did a uh, presentation for a group that I run for government marketing university, uh, our ideation group on chat GPT and uh what it is what it does where it's going kind of thing so jeff let's just you know start with a little bit of your background first and you can go uh start with now is gone um (laughs) okay that sounds good so uh i kind of cut my teeth in the local pr and marketing agency scene and did a lot of b2g work which is inevitable in washington dc and you know some of that background and then i went out on my own and Started blogging pretty quickly. I think this was around 2006, 2007. Wrote a book on social media marketing called Now Is Gone. Uh, It was early. We had things in it like MySpace. And it uh, it came out just as Twitter and Facebook were launching and really becoming um, well-known on the commercial level. And ever since then, I've just been trying, like everybody else, to tread water with these crazy evolving technologies. I think we've had periods where they've really been incredible in the way that they've impacted everything. And then we've had periods where they've been a little less uh, impactful. I think the mid-2010s, perhaps, with uh, the way the social network world kind of stabilized. But now we're in another dynamic period with all these new AI tools coming out and impacting everything. Yeah, and if, if I never told you before, I was really jealous that that title now is gone because that really encapsulates what's ha- you know things are happening so fast. There is no now. No, there isn't. It's funny. I was talking about that with my kid uh, just yesterday, who's now a, a budding teenager, uh, and uh, they were uh, not understanding the temporal vortex of how quickly things move like you can't have these finite visions of the way anything is even in government right i mean we've seen incredible changes over the last decade indeed uh so let's take a dive into we're going to take a long dive into the ai universe metaverse whatever the hell it is the first slide you used at ideation talked about the prompt economy arising. What do you mean by this? Yeah. So I think what's happened is I I think AI has been with us for a while now. And I think most people in IT and federal IT know this. um, And obviously the Biden administration has been working on it for a while, but the rise of chat GPT in particular, but also before that, some of these more 
image-oriented tools like DALI and Midjourney uh, require prompting from humans to produce an output. And those that have become very, very good at creating these types of tools uh, tend to, or creating these types of outputs from these tools, I should say, are master prompters. And with the widespread blowout of ChatGPT and now the need to integrate generative AI in almost every AI implementation that's out there in some way, or even as a, a small part of a larger AI model, people now need to know how to prompt as part of their jobs or trying to figure it out. And before that happened, it was pretty much something that only a data scientist would have to know. That's the prompt economy. If you, you're good at it, you do well. If you don't, you're, you're going to have a really hard time, I think. Well, we had uh, Microsoft make a huge investment in ChatGPT. Um, right. uh, other companies seem to be trying to adapt and create interfaces with those things. So, um, diff- different question: What? How old is ChatGPT? I didn't hear about it. Uh, you know, the first time I heard about it was like less than two months ago, right? Yeah. So. ChatGPT is, Mark, I think it's almost exactly six months old now. Think about that. <laughs> six months old. It's already got 100 million users plus and has changed the entire internet uh, in the way that we create content. I'm literally seeing reporters left and right banning submissions and content created with ChatGPT. We have a whole government. Italy has banned it for privacy reasons. Uh, it, it, it's created incredible amounts of controversy. You have car companies creating sales rooms based on the technology, virtual sales. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's like a, a tsunami. Well, it you know, it illustrates the point of your book. Now it's gone, you know. Geez, Louise, man, it's 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 so fast. There is no there is no now here. It's and and six months. Okay, so Microsoft makes what uh, some half billion dollar investment, multi billion dollar investment, ten, ten billion, ten billion dollars on this most a, recent a, round. Can, can you count that out by days? Which is each day is worth of that six months. It's um, like all those open AI guys must work in the NBA now or something. Jeez, <laughs> those kinds of salaries. Um, I guess. Uh, I hope everybody was uh, fully vested there, but um, um, <laughs> we're going to get into some of the other stuff, like the ethical quandaries and stuff. But let's right. let's touch on that right now because right after Microsoft did its purchase, or maybe right before, I don't know the sequence. They disbanded their ethical AI group. Yeah. And they weren't the only one. Yeah. No, it's problematic, right? And uh, I think maybe Google also did something like that. I'm not sure. And, uh, you know, and obviously Google has a competing technology, BARD, and also now Amazon, and everybody's kind of playing along. So the ethics issue is massive. And I think that's where this is really starting to have some I guess uh, maybe some turbulence or some drag on the technology and rightly so, because it's hard to explain. And what I mean by that is 
when you type in a prompt, you don't know where they get the answer from. Like you can ask it about the FAR regulations and it may be accessing that information off a, a web crawl it did in 2021 off the U.S. government website, off GSA. But then again, it may not, right? It may have gotten it from Sam. It may have gotten it from government contractor that provides uh, services. It may have gotten it from some uh, other contractor that provides services to contractors that want to do a business with the government. It may have pulled it from a pundit. It may have pulled it from some blogger just shooting their mouth off about the FAR. You know, I mean, nobody knows. And, and without that sourcing, it's really difficult. And so some of that explainability is huge and it makes it not very trustworthy. And we've seen articles come out, including uh, fake Washington Post articles, fake articles from The Guardian about people and things that they've done, which could be construed at least as reputation damaging. And, and so that's a huge challenge, right? Like it's not trustworthy. Privacy can be violated. Is it safe? I mean, these are massive issues. And then you consider privacy and security from a data standpoint. Like let's just talk DOD for a second. What happens if you put DOD data in the chat GPT? Forget the whole thing that happened with the Ukraine and Discord. What happens when you put it in here? And not only does it spit it out, but it spits it out with its own kind of, I think they call it hallucinations, like fake stories that come with it. Oh, my Lord, it's crazy. So the security issues are just horrific. It's insane. You know, when I first heard about it and I heard what it did, I write a lot about thought leadership. Uh, and I have for about 12 or 14 years now. And I asked it to do a synopsis of thought leadership. And it came back with uh, about 400 words or so. But there were direct quotes from my own work. Wow. And it didn't give you attribution, of course. Right? No, no attribution yeah. at all. That's horrible. It's horrible and it's flattering. I mean, I'm glad my stuff popped up. <laughs> Me too. Uh, it's funny because like one of the tools that we've made in my company um, and, and not to tout it, but is, you know, eValue serves kind of like a baby professional services company, not really a baby. We have like about less than 5,000 people, but yeah, we compete with Accenture and all those guys. And uh, I think this is something a lot of professional services companies have to deal with is providing that attribution. So we literally built an AI bot that goes back out on the web and provides attribution for all this stuff to go, verify where this information is coming from or verify that it's fake. You know, we can't even give GPT to people. That's how strongly we feel about it. It's really hard to train and make it useful for a very specific uh, company. And so I think one of the challenges that we're now seeing, and I read a, a really interesting article about this. And I, I want to say it was with, uh, maybe it was with eWeek or ZDNet. Um, where they said that 33% of enterprises are dabbling with this tool now, but literally 67% are just like sitting back and saying, well, it's, it's great for whatever on the internet, but I'm not sure I can do business with this thing. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Jeff right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Jeff Livingston. Jeff, I overlooked. Uh, tell people who you work for and, and what the company does, please. Yeah, so I'm Vice President of Marketing at eValueServe. We are a professional services company. Uh, we're in five continents. We're about 5,000 people. We provide specifically a lot of AI-powered data analytics and research. Okay, so people can come to you to figure this 
thing out. <laughs> well, we're figuring it out too. Uh, but the good news is we've been figuring it out all along. So we're not like behind. <laughs> Theoretically. Well, yeah. Cool. Right. So yeah. Like those 67% of the companies sitting back going, what? Um, <laughs> yeah. Now it's gone. Whoops. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. So define this for me. What, what exactly is it? What is this AI tool and does does the app separate from the algorithm? What's going on? Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction. So when you look at ChatGPT, I would look at it as an implementation of OpenAI's GPT algorithm. And so what that means is that they took a large language model algorithm, GPT-4 or GPT-3.5, depending on which version you're using, and they trained it on a gigantic web crawl from 2021. None of the information in there is older than I think the, I want to say October of 2021. And so as a result of that, everything you get might be dated. It, it's good point of view. It's got its own tonality. It's got some neat tips and tricks. I think it's really great at summarization. I think the prompting really is useful when you're able to provide your own information. So for example, Mark, if you took your own book and put it in there and said, give me the key takeaways for each chapter, it would be able to spit it out pretty nicely. I think uh, at least come to 80 or 90% of where you want it. And then you could fix the rest, but that's chat GPT. The algorithm itself is really interesting because what that allows somebody to do, particularly if they're in a secure environment is they can use the algorithm for their own specific implementation. And this is really where we experiment with it. And this is where a lot of these use cases that you're starting to see appear on the internet. Let me give one of those public use cases so people can Google it. Kia, the car company, I think we're all familiar with it. He is going to implement a GPT implementation on its website with uh, a company called Bain, which some folks may be familiar with. And what they're going to do is they're going to have a virtual showroom and Bain, have... Bain as in the research. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Bain. And and, and, Got it. Yeah. And what they are going to do is specifically allow people to search any information they want on any of their cars using their own data to source chat GPT and provide the answers. And chat GPT won't be able to hallucinate or add bad source information because that's the only training data. That's it. And so that makes it very useful if they can get that to a point where this is exciting. This is a bot that actually provides probably better answers than a salesperson. There's no upsell. It's just straightforward, factual data. Um, very helpful, right? And particularly if they can add imagery to it of the cars and show the individual pieces. It's also helpful for repairs, things like that. Here's another idea for you. Apply that to the National Park Service. Can you imagine if the Park Service put that in for all the parks for tourism and they only had their own data in there instead of every tourist and their crazy ideas? It'd be nirvana. Yeah, and the Park Service, the wildlife preserves, there's there's thousands of these places. Throughout the government, right? So it has right. a lot of potential <clears throat> to be useful if they can lock down the training data and provide it in a secure fashion and also resolve some of these hallucination issues where the AI just makes up an answer if it if it doesn't have the data, which we've seen a couple of times now. Well, here's three examples, IRS, CMS, and Social Security. Right? CDC? You know? Oh, my God, right? How about that during COVID? That would have been so much better. 
Oh my, yeah. <laughs> Maybe o- only real answers. <laughs> only real answers occur. Fake news. Let's, um, let's not go there. Let's not go there. <laughs> so, you've mentioned prompting several times, sure. And I know it's key, but I am the least technically astute person you've ever met. So how do I prompt? I think that's a great question, Mark. And I think it's one of those times where nomenclature gets in the way of the actual act, if that makes sense. Uh Prompting came out of the data science community and the AI community. But what I look at it like, and I'm an old guy, so now I'm an old guy at least. It's like Googling, man. It's just literally entering the data I want into the engine so I can get back what I want. I'm basically directing this thing to provide me this. In the case of ChatGPT, the more specific I am with my prompt or my directions, the better the result is. So I literally did this. We were kidding around and we were doing a demo inside the company. And I said, hey, uh, act like Don Draper and write me a marketing campaign for this. And it did. And I provided the data, you know, like I said, for this. And I provided about, I don't know, eight paragraphs of bullets, you know, just literally just messages after messages. And it spit out about 250 words of like hilarious awesomeness, right? I mean, you can literally put your own information in there and say, write an article in my tone of voice using these articles as examples of my voice about ChatGPT. And the next thing you know, there will be a Mark Amtower ChatGPT article. Oh my God. But I like writing. (laughs) I'll tell you what, I actually think for writers, like real writers, I'm not talking about somebody that, you know, wrote some research papers that kind of like or fancied the idea of it. People that have written professionally for extended periods of times are not going to like this tool because it's never going to have the style. It's never going to have that kind of panache. But what it does provide is like a, a raw piece of clay to start with. Cool. Well, I, I could use raw pieces of clay on occasion, but I love applying my own attitude to <laughs> everything I do. <laughs> you do the same. You know, oh, I've read your stuff guy. for years. <laughs> I'm a snarky guy. I've, I've brought it back, but yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. So I prompt it. I'm precise in my prompt. Can I take that prompt and refine it with what it comes back to me with? Yeah, I think you can. Um, I think one of the things that we're starting to see as a result of kind of these uh, turbulent moments that we already discussed Uh is you'll either have to rewrite it to a great extent or disclose that you use ChatGPT to help generate the content. Now, if that's on your website, that probably doesn't matter. If you're submitting it to a a journalist organization, that's going to matter, right? If you're using it as a client deliverable, whether that's to the federal government or to another contracting firm or whatever it might be, that may be problematic. Like we've seen some memos from people that are government contractors that say, hey, uh, you can't send us anything with, that's been made with ChatGPT unless you have 100% ready to certify its veracity and you have to disclose that you did that and that you also certify the results that you're producing here. So it it really requires a human in the loop if you're going to do that. If if you're going to do that, you might as well write it yourself because you've got to go through it with a fine tooth comb and 
you know, verify, you know, perestroika. Yeah. I think, again, if you use it as that clay model or use it as the basis to produce some results, but then you go out and verify and you clean it up, what you're looking at from a time-saving standpoint is like 20 or 30%. At least that's my experience. And that's pretty common throughout uh, other folks that I've heard using it. When I hear more than that, I think that they probably don't write or check their stuff. So, you know, 20 or 30% time for a guy we, like me is we, great. We've been seeing people who don't check their stuff for decades, my friend. There's going to be so much bad content out there, my friend. I, I cannot tell you how bad I think we're going to see some of these tragic errors created by uh, AI writing bots. But, you know, shame on them. If you unleash this thing and put yeah. it out there to your customers or to the world, you're going to get back what you deserve, I think. Yeah, several, not several years back, uh, maybe seven or eight years ago, I was teaching graduate school at GW and I taught the marketing course, but but every year I would assign topics to people. And when I heard about machine learning and AI, I assigned it to people to, and they had to do a research per, paper on this, right? Thank God, you know, chat GPD wasn't out then because, you know, uh, you know, they would have had their paper in like six minutes, and they had to write their research in terms that I could understand. And I told them, you know, I'm the least technical person in the universe. And, you know, these were working professionals, either contracting officers or uh, contractors, BD people. Uh, so, I mean, they, they were all, you know, out in the field already producing this stuff. But it was it was fun getting them to do research for me. <laughs> A hundred percent. You know, it's crazy as they already brought it up in my kid's school. They're in sixth grade, man. They're telling these kids like, Hey, you can't use this. I love it. But I think the really smart teachers will be like, use chat GPT to provide me a a paper on this and tell me why you think the answer is right or wrong. Ooh, I love that. Right. Like you're going to have to use these tools anyway. So you may as well get them trained on how to discern if the information's fake. You got, you got to put your own spin on it. All right. We're going to take another break. You're listening to Amtower off center on the federal news network. I'll be back with Jeff right after this. Welcome back to Amtower off center on the federal news network. I'm here today with Jeff Livingston, Uh, Jeff, the company again, and your website, please. Yep. Jeff Livingston. I work at E-ValueServe evalueserve.com spelled the way it sounds cool phonetic i love it uh, about time there's a tech company out there with a phonetic name <laughs> that's what happens when you've been around for 20 plus years well there you go all right so um the impact on people's jobs i mean you know i'm a marketing guy i had a hundred inquiries online off phone whatever uh, is this, you know, I produce content. Is this going to impact my, my job? Um, right. Whose, whose positions are, are going to be impacted here? That's a great question, Mark. And, you know, I saw that study that everybody kind of reported on. And in fact, I've used some of the data and 80% of all jobs are going to be affected by generative AI in some way. But what does that mean, really, right? So, like, you and I just talked about our writing processes. And, okay, so 20% of my writing time uh, might be taken away by ChatGPT, depending on your perspective, right, or generative AI tools. Well, that means to me, like, instead of spending three hours writing a significant thought leadership piece, 
I'll spend two hours or two hours and some change. That's an hour I can use back. That's going to make me more productive. So it impacted my work, but it's going to make me better. I do think, though, when you look at this, maybe the best way to think about it is there is probably going to be a small fraction of the population that's going to see their traditional position evolve into something completely different. So when I think of maybe like a social media content writer in a large agency, maybe the only thing that they're doing is writing social media posts. They may become a prompt engineer, right? A communications prompt engineer. And so their traditional job is gone, but basically they're creating the same output and much more of it. It all depends on the level of it, but I think things like product user journal writers, those types of folks that, you know, they may be in wanting to look at something else, but the folks that embrace these tools and use them first are going to be the ones that are the winners. It's really going to be the ones that take their heels in and say, I'll never use that. That is completely crazy. I will never, ever use generative AI to create content. Yeah, that's problematic. To me, that's like an accountant when Excel came out that said, I will never use Microsoft Excel. I will never use a spreadsheet. I mean, it's very similar in that sense. The only difference is that this is happening a lot faster, if you would. Yeah, it's funny because if, if you've been doing something one way forever, your your adoption, it's particularly if you're of a certain age, okay? Um, right. Because if you're 20 years old, you haven't been doing it that way for that long anyhow, even if you're 30 or 35. When, when you're 50 plus, you've been doing something one way for 20 plus years in a professional capacity. And then they say, oh, here's this new tool. Start figuring out how to apply it in your job. And you're going, what? Ooh, yeah, totally not fun, right? I mean, think about this too. Like you and I both saw CDs come in over cassettes yep. and records. Yep. It, yep. And they sold, uh, they stopped selling vinyl pretty much by like 2000, but it took what, 10 years to wipe out vinyl. And now it's back. It sells now more it's than back. CDs. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe human writing will come back after ChatGPT destroys all the bad writers out there. But I, I just kind of feel like with a lot of the studies that are out there that you're probably looking at more fear mongering by the journals, uh, the journalists who have been greatly decimated by uh, the internet and technology. And so I would be worried if, the, if I were them. But again, if you look at basic scores, stories about college sports, uh, stock reports that are coming about uh, quarterly earnings from small big cap companies, these are all read by AI already. So, I mean, I think to me, this is, again, it's, it's a non-story story, but it's just more of the whole, it's really easy to tap into the Skynet, be afraid of AI meme that's out there. So if, if I were still day trading, which I did briefly back around 1999, uh, and I was actually relatively successful, and I had an AI tool and it could do this, re, you know, I, I played in one area only. I played in biotech research. Uh, and at times I had up to 20 stocks. Um, and I, I, again, I did pretty well, but I was doing all my own research. I wasn't working on my business at all. <laughs> but if I had the AI tool pulling up stuff, would that be, you know, my own private Warren Buffett to tell me where to go and what to do? Why not? I mean, if you guide it and you've 
basically told it what to look for, then it is yours. It's just basically, again, using that Excel uh, analogy again, it's just doing it a lot faster than you could manually um, and with less error probably. And so to me, I think it's an accelerant. And there have been examples of this too, where people have built their own GPT implementations that are just like unfairly crushing it on the stock market, you know? So, or I've heard stories about that. So why not? What's unfair about it? I don't think there's anything unfair about it. No, it's, it's using a research tool to do what you've been paying other people to do or probably, you know, you're paying them for results that may not be quite as good. <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, in that sense, it's an improvement. And one of the things that we already know that a lot of these financial organizations are doing is they are using AI to calculate risk with loans. And, and like that's why you punch all your data and you get a response back within 15 minutes. I mean, it's not like a human's going through that. Uh, you see that with portfolio recommendations. You even see like Vanguard openly emailing people and saying like, hey, would you like to use our new research assistant? Or at least I've seen those emails on my own account. It's really cool. But at the same time, this is becoming commonplace. You know, yeah. it just means that people will be put into places where their human creativity, their emotional intelligence, which AI cannot replicate, this type of strategy, uh, this kind of thinking, that kind of eyeball test that you can't get from a, a statistic uh, is going to become more valuable. And that's where we're going to see the workforce transition to. Intriguing, intriguing. We're going to take a break early so we come back and finish long. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Jeff Livingston. And Jeff and I will come back and talk about ethical implications, federal use cases, and Uh, potential contractor uses. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm wrapping up a show today with Jeff Livingston of company again, please. EValueServe, EValueServe.com. We provide data analytics solutions using AI tools. Using AI tools. Okay. So um, we we touched on the ethical impacts. What what didn't we... uh, we hit on? Well, I think we, we can talk about fair and safe and transparency. One of the things we did talk about was the need for that human verification, right? And mm-hmm. I think you were going to talk about contractor uses of this tool, am I oh, right? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. So I think you and I have talked in the past about RFPs, and I think anybody that's been in a space has filled out one of these nightmares at some point. No offense to those people that build them. I'm not trying to say anything, but it is difficult to write an RFP, particularly one that's of substantial value. And as a result, you may end up with a 60, 80 page document. Now that takes dozens of hours to, to fill in and then verify, right? Well, if you've written a bunch of these in the past, why wouldn't you feed that into a generative AI tool, like your own private GPT, and then have that GPT spit out answers uh, and then just go back and verify and clean it up. If you're the government, though, you're going to want a human being to to sign off and say, I've read this. I say it's true. It represents this company's commitment to the federal government. And I'm this executive at this company. And without that, I think that we're going to probably have some problems with the AI tools and the government's going to say you can't use this. Okay. How are they going to know? Well, there are enough detection bots out there that uh, seem to pull out that text. Now, if you're that guy 
that's actually smart enough to go back and rewrite everything, uh, then you're probably not going to need this anyway because you've already verified it, right? Yeah. But the it, this is for the people that are just slapping things in there and then publishing it. And I think the government is going to flat out say, we, we do use verification engines. If we detect that this is an AI-written text and you haven't told us, it's going to be disqualified. If you do tell us, you have to verify that you stand by every written word in this document as a commitment to the government. Okay. So let, let's talk about some uh, some federal use cases, the Biden initiative. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting. It's pretty open. I think one of the things I like about it, which gets back to ethics, is the fair and safe aspect of it, where it talks about uh, basically creating equal opportunities that people can't have an unfair advantage because they're using AI over somebody else. Now that's hit or miss, but I do think that when you look at the digital divide, for example, and all the problems that that created, the Biden administration is trying to get in front of that and make sure that, hey, this doesn't you know put down whole populations of people or at least try to prevent it. Okay. I haven't read anything about this yet. So is it a presidential memo? Does he want to make it into a law? What's he want to do with this? Yeah, it's a presidential memo. And I think the administration wants to turn it into an AI ethics law. Now, there's all sorts of activity already going on. Like uh, the SEC is looking at whether or not uh, you can use AI in certain implementations. Copyrights come up with Department of Commerce. Basically, anything that's a generated image is not copyrightable because it wasn't created by a human. So that's creating all sorts of craziness. In fact, Adobe just launched their first um, uh, real tool, uh, and it's called Firefly, and they literally stamp it and say it's not for commercial use. It's really crazy. Uh, so that's creating all sorts of disruption. Um, is so is Josh Whedon going to sue him? I, I, I just work here, man. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to get into that. Yeah. But I think also Adobe is really big on the ethics implementation. So they're a little bit slower, but they're being really intentional. And I've looked at some of their tools. And I think what Adobe has that some of these smaller players, like I don't know if you can call OpenAI small anymore, but OpenAI and MidJourney and Stable Diffusion, they don't have these ethical codes and these types of professional, we've worked with the government, we've worked with big enterprises before, so we know how they like to operate. And I think that you could see a company like Adobe just come out and just flatten everybody uh, because they understand how business is done. That's an extremely important distinction compared to what we were talking about with, I hate to say bad things about Microsoft and Google, but, you know, when you decimate your, your ethics AI people, what does that say to the universe? Not great things. And, and they're going to have to be told how to use these tools, right? I mean, right. that's where government regulation is going to come in, and then they'll complain about it. I mean, I think a company like Adobe is so far in front of it that they'll probably end up defining the regulation, if that makes sense. Well, it makes a lot of sense. So um, so use cases, we already talked about Park Service and, and some others. What, what are the parameters to applying this? I mean, where where does it logically fit? where there's a lot of users, where there's a lot of data, what? Yeah, absolutely. And so I think if you have a lot of users and a lot of data, as you had said, 
that's 100% a clear indication that you need to provide data. Probably some more of the civilian agencies are the obvious opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, but also you have to have FedRAMP solutions. You have to have it locked down secure because um, you're also talking about, again, private human data where people don't like to see their individual information provided. So I could see, for example, like the United States Postal Service, uh, if customers are looking to find out information about bulk mailings, uh, maybe how they could deploy large product launches with mailing, uh, that kind of information. It may be really interesting to interact with the Postal Service using a ChatGPT implementation, but the Postal Service will also have to protect all of the U.S. data that it has all right. that critical infrastructure that it has. And so there's that kind of uh, fine-tuned mix there. Right. So you mentioned FedRAMP. Are any of these tools FedRAMP authorized yet? Well, actually, I think a few of them are because uh, I think uh, Microsoft op offers a GPT-3 integration on Azure. Um, Amazon just launched its services. We know that Google is offering some of the services as well. So all three of the major cloud providers are a FedRAMP. They have those grades. Uh, so I think that, yes, you could probably implement pretty quickly on FedRAMP uh, capable services, but not at the same full robust level. Because, again, let's go back to Microsoft. ChatGPT3 is not the 3.5 that we see in ChatGPT. Right. And it's not 4, which was just released. So Okay. Let's let's talk for a couple of minutes about contractor uses for this tool. Yeah. So uh, we're both marketing guys. Right. How can we use it? Well, I think, again, for me, I think RFPs are, are where it's at for this thing. I, I just think that that's such a laborious process for business developers. It's just really critical. But from a marketing standpoint, guys like uh, in the federal space in particular, and I think a lot of that government marketing university community, usually they're kind of an outpost in a larger enterprise. And as a result of that, they don't have the resources that the larger enterprise does. And so this allows them to scale federal specific content on a lot faster of a scale. Um you know, much quicker, much better, it allows them to get into that editor mode instead of in that content creation mode. Again, if you use it as raw clay, this will allow you to provide interesting information to the federal government um, with that filter in mind. Okay. So um, what about for, you know, developing collateral, um, if you're selling services to the government and you're developing articles, or yep. or even presentations. Yeah, there's a tool. I forget the name of it. It just came out. Big PowerPoint generative AI will literally create your deck just like that. You know, you can load up your template and it'll create it just like that. And again, let's get back to that prompt economy start we had. It's one thing to say, create me a presentation on FedRAMP solutions. It's another thing to say, this is my FedRAMP solution. Here are the 10 points I want to convey. Now give me a PowerPoint, Right. It, it, yeah. the, the latter choice is going to be a much more substantial deck. And so if, I think if we look at it like that, it's going to be useful. I, I think you're looking at video creation, Mark. I think you're looking at image creation. I mean, how many times have you heard in this space, in federal marketing in particular, I would love to do a real ad campaign with real photography, but I can't afford it. Well, now you can't. I mean, the, these photorealistic images 
You can literally prompt, show me three people in business dress, two female, one male of different racial backgrounds in front of a federal building in Washington, D.C., and you'll literally get a nondescript federal building with three people walking down the street looking professionally dressed. Holy cow. Right? That's incredible. You know, I, I talk to people about that, as you might imagine, frequently. Give me some final thoughts, brother. I think the best thing anybody could do here is to not worry about it. Instead, I would just start playing with it. Like, I honestly spend, and you see the articles I write, I spend about an hour or two each weekend writing those. And it's literally me playing with the AI while I write the articles. And it's actually allowing me to accelerate my adoption of it and to be not just a talking head, but somebody that actually understands and uses the tools well. And I might be three weeks ahead of the average Joe. So I don't think it's like this much of a disruptor in the sense of somebody knows it and somebody doesn't. The only thing you need to do is use it. Just try it. Keep playing with it. Keep adapting. It's it's going to really blow your mind what this stuff can do. And what it can't do is going to be kind of laughable too. Cool. Jeff Livingston, thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate it. We'll do this again. Maybe not about chat GPT, but we'll get back together on other marketing issues. Uh, Mark, good to see you, my friend. And thanks for having me on the show. Always. This is not my day job. I do advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government, but I focus on three areas, building a subject matter expert platform, generating content, and um, and and developing that subject matter expert thought leadership position in the market, legitimate subject matter expert positions in the market. If that resonates, drop me a line, markamtower at gmail.com or drop me a line on LinkedIn. I'm very easy to find. Uh, if you like this show, please uh, say so at the podcast platform of your choice. And thanks for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.